Welcome back to another episode of Ramiumptum Ruminations. My name is Scott, and I'm the host. Today's episode is called The Satan. Thanks for coming back to listen to another episode. How many different versions of Satan do you think there are? This cosmic evil opposite of God is represented in media so often. The LDS faith and most Christian faiths base their conception of the devil, of Satan, of Lucifer on things that are extra canonical. What I mean by that is things that are not found explicitly in the scriptures. If you've missed last week's episode, please go back and listen to it. I had a guest on, Kaisa Berlin Kaufusi, and we discussed an overview of Satan and some of the changes in beliefs and ideas around the devil throughout time. It was a fantastic discussion, and some of the things that I discussed today will build off of what what was discussed last week, but you don't have to listen to that one to um, find value in this episode. When I say that the influences and ideas that we have around Satan are extra canonical, I mean they are not taken from the scriptures, the Old Testament and the New Testament. Many of the ideas that religion has around judgment and hell and the devil come from apocryphal books of scripture the book of Jubilees, the, the book of Enoch, the apocalypse of Peter. There's a lot of different apocryphal books that give ideas around Satan and give ideas around judgment and demons and things of that nature that aren't found in the scriptures that still influence the way that modern Christianity looks at scripture. And on top of that, you have writers such as Dante who wrote, who wrote Inferno, and their depiction of the underworld and, and how that shaped and shifted ideas around Satan and judgment. And then later writers such as Milton and Paradise Lost. When we think of Satan, we typically incorporate ideas from all of these different sources to create this idea of what the person is. To complicate it even further, you have the LDS take on Satan and Lucifer. And this version as we discussed last week with Kaisa, this version draws inspiration from some of these other versions of Lucifer, but has its own unique twist. For today's episode, I want to talk about the earliest versions of Satan that we know about. And for this, we're going to dive into the Old Testament. One of the recent depictions of Satan that... I have seen in media is from the show The Sandman and it was a fascinating recreation played by Gwendolyn Christie of Game of Thrones fame and multiple other projects. In The Sandman she portrays this elegant, beautiful, tall and imposing Lucifer figure. 
But what I want to discuss today is some of the earliest ideas around Satan that existed. And the further back in time we go, the less Satan looks like this recent depiction by Gwendolyn Christie of Lucifer, which, quick side note, Sandman is amazing. The graphic novel is a fantastic read. The Netflix adaptation is a very fun watch. I will, I will make a note that it is a little graphic. There are a couple of episodes that uh, deal with some really intense themes. There is uh, some violence in the show. The way that they've told this story is so incredible. I could keep talking and talking about it, but <laughs> let's stick for now with the subject of the earliest incarnations of Satan as we have them in the Old Testament. For the next few weeks, the topic that I want to cover is Satan. The discussions will range from a, a, a few different angles. I want to discuss Satan as viewed in LDS theology. I also want to discuss the evolution of the belief around Satan. And then I want to talk about uh, some implications implications of a belief in a Satan figure. A lot to cover, a lot to say. I'm not sure how many episodes this is going to be, but that is what we will be discussing for the next little while. Much of today's content will be drawn from uh, a book called The Satan by Ryan E. Stokes. It is an excellent read. It is such an eye-opening view into the evolution around the theology on the adversary. Ryan Stokes is the director of applied theology at the Carson Newman University. The book is called The Satan, How God's Executioner Became the Enemy. If one were to read the Old Testament, searching for the devil or Satan, what would be the first story that a reader would encounter? If your first thought is the creation story in Genesis, that would be wrong. There is no mention of Satan in the creation narratives. So what would it be then? This is kind of a trick question because oftentimes, depending on the translation that you're reading from, the word Satan doesn't appear as Satan. It appears as adversary. The first time that a reader would encounter a Satan in the Old Testament is in Numbers 22. The, the problem, though, is that it's not translated to Satan in most of the versions of the Old Testament that we read today. It's instead translated to adversary. Now, I'll read the passage, but then there's going to be quite a bit to unpack and understand about what's, being, what's going on here. And I'm reading from the NRSV. This is Numbers 22, verse 22. God's anger was kindled because he was going, and the angel of the Lord took his, hand, took his stand in the road as his adversary. Now he was riding on the donkey, and his two servants were with him. Uh, this passage comes from Balaam and the donkey. It's probably one that you missed in Sunday school, uh, not something that, that, that's really discussed all that often. 
talking donkeys, divination, that sort of thing isn't uh, something that we that uh, is typically discussed in the halls at uh, a church on Sunday. It's an interesting little story where the king of the Moabites has hired this guy named Balaam to put a curse upon the Israelites, but his donkey sees that the angel of the Lord is in the road ready to kill him. And so the donkey is trying to save this guy's life. So pertinent to this story, when in this verse, in verse 22, when it describes the angel of the Lord as an adversary, the word that's actually used is as a Satan. And it's translated to the word adversary. One of the important things to note about the the earliest uses that we find of the word Satan in the Old Testament, it's not a proper noun. It's a common noun. And that is a very important distinction from the later theology around Satan, where it is looked at as a proper noun. We'll go back to the grammar class, grab back to your English from however long ago it was that you were in school to do a quick breakdown of the difference between a proper noun and a common noun. A proper noun as a name for an individual, a place, an organization, it's usually spelled with a capital letter. A common noun is a noun that is describing a type of person or a type of thing. Basically, every other noun that isn't a proper noun is a common noun, and it would start with a lowercase letter. What is being said here is Satan is being used as a common noun, lowercase s, as a way to distinguish a type of person. And in this story, in Numbers 22, the angel of Yahweh is being described as a Satan. And that is the very first instance, if one were to read the Old Testament cover to cover, that's the first time a reader would encounter Satan. And this specific one is the angel of Yahweh. The angel of Yahweh is its own very complicated idea that uh, would warrant its own series of discussions. Suffice to say that that's kind of a title that for a person that was used as well. And in this story, it's like a supernatural being. Anyway, the job that the angel of Yahweh was performing here was as an executioner. He was there to kill Balaam. The next story we would encounter is in Zechariah 3, and that's where Zechariah's vision of Joshua, the high priest, um, there's a human Satan who is there acting as an executioner. Um, he intends to put Joshua to death for having approached the angel of Yahweh um, in an unworthy manner. The next time that a Satan appears would be in David, 1 Chronicles 21. And this is where a Satan threatens Israel, inciting David to take a census of the people. And then this unleashes a destroying angel of Yahweh on them. So I'm going to read a quick passage, and this is from near the end of the book. The Satan by Ryan E. Stokes. This is on page 221 for those that, that have the book. The tradition of the Satan had its beginning in the belief that certain superhuman executioners were responsible to bring capital judgment on transgressors. Numbers 22, Zechariah 3, and 1 Chronicles 21 all reflect this belief. 
and refer to their respective superhuman agents of death as Satans. These texts also exhibit significant diversity. Whereas Numbers and Chronicles each speaks of a Satan, Zechariah's Satan is the Satan. Furthermore, while the Satan of Numbers is identical with the angel of Yahweh, Zechariah distinguishes and even contrasts these two figures. The creation of an officer who was distinct from the angel of Yahweh, and whose job it was to punish sinners, served to distance the figure's maleficent activity from the beneficent deity. Beliefs about superhuman Satan figures, nonetheless, did not develop in a simple linear fashion. Multiple notions of Satanic attackers seem to have existed simultaneously in this early period. How many times does the noun Satan actually appear in the Old Testament? The noun Satan, which is Hebrew for adversary or accuser, occurs only nine times in the Hebrew Bible. Five of those describe a human, military, political, or legal opponent. And four of those are references to divine beings, like we described in Numbers 22. Of those nine times where Satan appears in the Old Testament, it only shows up one time without the word the in front of it. So eight of the nine times it appears as the Satan, and only once does it appear as Satan. The time where it only appears as Satan is in Chronicles 1, 21 and 1. Again, if you go and look at your King James Version or even the NRSV, the word Satan in, in all of these instances is actually translated to adversary in the scriptures as we have them in English today. I'm making a distinction here, and I, I guess I should probably point that out. But later on um, in in another episode that I'll put out in, a, in a, um, a week or two, I'll discuss the ideas around Satan in the New Testament because they are dramatically different from what's found in the Old Testament. One of the things that I've mentioned many times, so longtime listen, listeners of the show will be familiar with this, but the idea of a consistent theological story throughout all of Scripture is not something that exists. Each book, each writer comes in with, with their own rhetorical agenda and rhetorical goals for what they're writing and why they're writing it and who they're writing it to. When you look at the scriptures with that in mind, they read very differently from what I grew up reading them as a member of the LDS church. It was actually a deconstruction of the Old Testament and ideas around the ancient world that started my religious deconstruction process. It's not precisely known when it happened. It could have been one, it could have been in the first century BCE. There's a, a book called The Wisdom of Solomon that in uh, chapter 2, verse 23, it might suggest that there were ideas around the serpent being identified with Satan already floating around at that point. Um, but it's kind of in that time period. The idea that we have of Satan today didn't become more formalized until the Second Temple period. The time frame of the Second Temple period is like 500 BCE right or, to right around um, 60 or 70 CE. 
the second temple period ended with the destruction of the temple at Jerusalem. So ideas around Satan as we have them today didn't formalize for a couple hundred years after the earliest books of the Old Testament were written. Imagine, if you will, put yourself in the shoes of these early believers, these early Jews from 800 BCE, where you read the creation narrative, but there's no concept of a cosmic opposite or Satan figure in the theology. It is just a serpent. So no one at the time of when it was written would have read the serpent and identified it with some cosmic being. When we read something that was written for an audience outside of ourselves, we read the thing or consume the media or whatever it is with the lens of our perspective. But that wasn't the lens or the perspective for the intended audience of the work. So when we go back and we read the Old Testament with modern ideas around Satan and the devil and even modern LDS theology, when we impose those ideas back in time onto a different people, a different culture, we take them out of context and we misunderstand what they're trying to say. The argument that Ryan E. Stokes is making in this book is not that Satan shouldn't be translated as adversary. What he's saying is that the earliest incarnations that we have of a Satan figure in the Old Testament, Satan was acting solely as an executioner. I'm going to jump back to that quote that I cited a minute ago that was really interesting, and something about it stands out to me. And I'll, I'll reread that, that last line that I said. The creation of an officer who was distinct from the angel of Yahweh and whose job it was to punish sinners served to distance this figure's maleficent activity from the beneficent deity. This is such a fascinating assertion that Stokes is making here, because one of the complaints that so many people that leave the church have is that the God of the Old Testament is uncaring. He's commanding all of these things that are evil and and causing genocides and all sorts of horrible things. So what, what Stokes is saying here is that the creation and evolution of the Satan figure in part helped to take away those aspects of deity and put them onto a secondary figure. Now, I'm going to jump a little bit to talk about Job because this transition here serves nicely to um, play into what Stokes is saying about Satan and his role in the story of Job. Here's what Stokes says, and this is on page 222. The book of Job contains what is perhaps the latest reference to a superhuman Satan in the Hebrew scriptures and reflects the most developed understanding of this figure. The Satan of Job was likely added to the story by an editor who wished to diminish God's role in the righteous Job's suffering. According to Job's prologue in its current form, it was the Satan rather than God who instigated Job's severe trial. Job's contribution to the development of thinking about the Satan is difficult to overestimate. In Job, for the first time, the Satan attacks an innocent person. 
while subsequent literature would continue to speak of the Satan as a functionary of God who punishes evildoers, writings of the Second Temple era would increasingly portray the Satan as the enemy of the faithful. So let's talk a little bit about the book of Job, and then we'll do a, a quick breakdown of the, di the different parts, and then what Stokes is saying about possible interjections from uh, later editors. So scholars typically break down um, the book of Job into three parts, and they call them the prologue, the dialogues, and the epilogue. The prologue is from the beginning of Job 1.1 to Job 2.13. And then the dialogues go from Job 3.1 to 42.6. And then the epilogue is 42.7 to 17. The prologue and the epilogue of Job are written in prose, and they serve as like a framework for the poetic dialogue in the middle. With scholarships on stuff in the ancient world, there's always going to be people who disagree or who take one stance or another. So what, what Stokes is saying here is that um, there's a general consensus that breaks it into these three parts. One of the interesting distinctions is in the prologue and the epilogue, Job, Job seems to take everything in stride. He fully accepts this suffering at the hand of God. But in the dialogues, he much more openly vents his frustration with how God is governing human affairs. As any good scholar does, when Ryan Stokes is presenting this, he's talking. he does talk about the fact that some people do look at the book of Job as one consistent document and um, disagree with his idea. So in the book, and as I said, for those interested, it's, it's a fascinating read. Chapter two, he goes into a lot of detail on why he looks at this the way that he does. And he breaks down the passages that refer to Satan and this heavenly council, and he separates them from the ones that don't mention it. And he shows that it reads in a consistent narrative if you remove those parts about Satan from the narrative. There's nine different numbered points that he makes and then a couple of paragraphs about each of, the, each of these points. Um, one of the ones that I thought was most interesting, he says, It is peculiar, however, that in all of the discussion between Job and his friends about Job's troubles and God's hand in it, not once do they allude to Satan or any such figure, especially given how integral this, this figure is to the plot of Job in its present form. <laughs> to prevent myself from going way too deep into this, this uh, rabbit hole, it's, it's important to note that Satan here is referred to as a B'nai Elohim, or son of God. These B'nai Elohim are beings who serve God Something else that, that maybe we could discuss um, down the road is the, uh, the word Elohim and how it refers to like a family council and the earliest versions of Judaism that we can trace back were polytheistic. Another fascinating read. Uh, this one is by, uh, by Mark E. Smith, uh, the, the Origins of Biblical Monotheism. In that one, he traces the transition from polytheism to monotheism. At this time, they were a polytheistic uh, religion, but, the, but it was shifting towards monotheism. What remained at this point was a higher deity, Yahweh, that was over everything. But then there were lower tier supernatural beings, which were these B'nai Elohim. These were the sons of God. They were angelic messengers, that sort of thing. 
So the way it's presented here is that God has gathered these B'nai Elohim and he calls forth one of them to be a Satan and to be this adversary. Up until this point in what we have recorded about the beliefs around Satan, there was no ideas of him surveilling humanity or coming down and giving people sores as is presented in the book of Job. It marks um, a shift in the theology and in the role of Satan. But one of the interesting things and what Stokes in the book points out is that there's a shift in, in Satan as executioner to Satan having a role to fulfill with wicked people. And this role is specifically to punish wicked people. And one of the 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 verse that's interesting for that is Job one twelve, where God um, says that um, Job is in Satan's power. Another contrast in the book of Job with other representations of Satan of this of the role of Satan in the Old Testament is that in Job the Satan figure is attacking an innocent person, where all of the other representations it's. It's the Satan figure acting as an executioner um, for retribution to a wicked person or something that somebody that's doing something that God does not like. So this this shift marks a transition that uh, scholars notice in the Second Temple period where Satan is no longer solely going after wicked people or those that have trespassed against God, as in, uh, you know, Balaam and the donkey or, or Joshua, the high priest Joshua, um, not presenting himself the right way to Yahweh. Now, from Job forward, we have this idea of Satan as attacking a, a righteous person. This sort of thing is just so fascinating to me. I have so much more that I want to talk about. I haven't even begun to go into the implications of these sort of ideas. But what I want to present and what I'm going to do for the next couple of weeks is I want to talk about this transition of the belief around Satan to, towards him being um, like a cosmic enemy of God. So we'll keep going through. I'll, I'll read some more passages from this book by Ryan E. Stokes. And then from there, I want to talk about some, some implications on morality because of this idea of a Satan figure. I also want to talk about some of the theology around Satan from the temple ceremony. And as I've said in the past, I've tried to be very respectful with how I talk about the temple. And so when I get to that episode, I, I am only going to focus on a couple of lines that Satan has in the temple ceremony, uh, because I think they're fascinating and they, if taken to be true, they have a, an interesting implication about the theology around Satan in the LDS faith. So much more to talk about. So stick around. The next couple of weeks are going to be a lot of fun. Be sure to comment, send me some of your ideas and some of your thoughts around, around Satan. And as, as I wrap up this, this theme that I'm discussing, I'll be sure to do another episode where we talk about your ideas as well, because that's always fun for me. So thank you so much for listening today. I hope that this was enjoyable and insightful. I try and do them in, in small bite-sized chunks so we can get the information succinctly. Wherever you find yourself out there today, putting on a rain jacket to step outside, I hope that you have an excellent day. <laughs>